Hey everyone, it's Alan Smithson here, the host of the XR for Business podcast. Today we have Arash Kashmirian, co-founder of Extality. His personal goal is to create powerful content that delivers results. We're going to dig into using Magic Leap and HoloLens and mixed reality headsets as a tool for business. So all that and more coming up next on the XR for Business podcast. Arash, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. It's my absolute pleasure. You guys have done some pretty cool stuff. I was on your website playing with a shoe. What is Xtality? We're a lot of things to many people. So we, we built Xtality out of a, a long kind of 10 year experience in the games industry, building mobile games. Did a lot of uh, games, including Zombie Gunship, which ended up being this kind of worldwide sensation of shooting zombies from an airplane. And that company, Limbic, we, uh, we ended up doing a lot of XR stuff in kind of around 2016, 17, 18. And we built uh, a game for AR kit called Zombie Gunship Revenant. And that ended up being a, a huge hit across the App Store. Um, Apple featured it a whole bunch of times. It was one of the 2017 games of the year. Um, and it, it spread uh, ARKit to a lot of people trying new things on their new new iPhones. And we later did a project called Zombie Gunship Raptor with Oculus and Oculus Go, Gear VR. But really kind of around that time, 2017, we started to feel like it was getting way too crowded in the games business. And we were starting to look around and try to figure out what we could do with our experience in high performance graphics and making cool experiences, immersive experiences. I started talking to a guy uh, named Ryan Peterson, who's the founder of a, a studio called Finger Food out in Vancouver. And he was telling me about all these exciting opportunities in AR and VR uh, for enterprises. And he was talking about how they'd saved millions and millions of dollars for a truck company that was looking to move their design to virtual reality from using clay models. And this got our head scratching. And we're like, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to like use all of our games experience to help big companies and, and do more than just give people an entertaining hour on their phones. So we founded a new company called Extality. And we set out to essentially discover companies that really wanted to explore XR, uh, be it on their phones, on headsets, uh, iPads, you know, every, every type of XR and leverage our background in, in doing just really hard graphics problems, building scalable global servers and connectivity, uh, all those hard things that you learn how to do making games, we quickly realized that we're just super, super applicable to building enterprise solutions as well. Actually, I know Ryan uh, very well uh, from Finger Food, really great guy, and they've done some amazing work in the space. What are some of the, the highlights that you've done for Enterprise? And first of all, I just want to say that having a, a flying zombie shooter game, pretty awesome. Thank That's you. Just, the fact that you guys had a hit uh, with AR Kit is pretty amazing because there's not too much out there leveraging the power of AR Kit yet. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about games for just a second, it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, it gives people a totally different experience using their phone as the controller and running around the room. We have all these videos during our user tests of people crawling on the ground, shooting zombies and jumping up and down. And it became a very athletic experience playing games this way. But what we quickly found and part of why we started to look at where can we use AR outside of games was that... I think session times really suffer because if you want to play a game, you want to be lazy, right? You want to sit on your couch, you want to have your beer, you want to take your phone out and just play in the least movement sort of laziest way possible. And, and asking people to get up and run around for 30 minutes, not surprisingly, led to really short session times. And so what we, we gained a lot of people wanting to download the game to try out AR, but we lost a lot of retention because people weren't interested in spending the kind of time they would normally spend on a mobile game running around their house shooting zombies. And so that was kind of the impetus for us to say, well, we've got a lot of downloads on this, but it doesn't perform in the way games are supposed to perform. But we still just love this technology and we want to keep using it in a place where it really will make a difference for people. This is why PlayStation VR has done better than, than the other uh, full room scale experiences because most people when playing a game are just sitting there. 
Exactly. And they want to they want to play the game from the comfort of their desk chair or couch or whatever. And PlayStation VR lets you do that. Most of the games are on rails and you very rarely have to pivot in 360 degrees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that just sort of underscores the importance of, of knowing how things are going to be used and building experience for it. I think a lot of people get carried away with, we have this great technology, we can have a 10 meter square play space, uh, let's use every corner of it. And the reality is that doesn't always make sense for, for kind of what your user is after for that particular game. Rarely makes sense to use a 10 meter by 10 meter. <laughs> 10, I mean, when, when was the last time you had a 10 foot clear space anywhere? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's really just outdoor experiences that can really compete. Enterprise. What, what have you guys uh, done in the enterprise uh, side? What solutions have you created? Yeah, like I said at the beginning, we've been kind of all over many different industries. And so we got our, our main uh, first first break as, as Extality was leveraging some of our game connections and things like that to get, uh, get close to Magic Leap. And Magic Leap, of course, uh, did an amazing job of uh, evangelizing mixed reality um, across the world. And uh, one of the companies that they, um, they'd been talking to for a while was CNN, Turner Broadcasting Cable News Network. And what they wanted to do was essentially explore with CNN, what does it look like to do news in mixed reality? And how do we augment the experience of essentially what you might do in the morning, which is watching headline news? How do we augment that? How do we use these new display technologies? How do we make that a, a richer, more interesting experience? And so what we ended up looking at with them was at first really how do we show news and, and what's the benefit of having, for example, a Magic Leap device on your head when you're having breakfast and, and maybe getting ready for your day? And we started to play around with the, the first thing that comes to mind, which is, well, we can have virtual televisions on multiple different channels at different sizes all around the room. And so we started to explore with building user interfaces to create just like a really great channel selector. And you can have maybe a little TV with the stock market over at the end of the breakfast table, but then like a really big TV that's got a, a particular show or maybe a Anthony Bourdain telling you something about food have that at a larger scale and then imagining even potentially multiple users seeing the same TVs or, or some shared TVs and some individual TVs. How do we make that a cool experience so that you can have a TV wherever you want it floating in space? And that was, that was definitely a new way to, to consume media. And, and that's, that's where the conversation started, I think. But as we, we got deeper into it, we realized that, that, of course, there's a lot of stories that really benefit from being told with 3D content. And um, this isn't something that's new for news, right? I mean, we've seen a lot of 3D rendered imagery. For, I think it started with weather, but a lot of the time, a lot of even like local news stations do this now where there's a rendered fly through of the crime scene, looking around the world for something or showing different objects in 3D so they can pull apart parts of it and show like the pieces of the latest SpaceX rocket or something like that. And we started there because a lot of, uh, of companies, including CNN and Turner, they have teams that are dedicated toward building this sort of content for broadcast news where they prepare a, a rendering and, and send it along with the, the video feed. But we thought, well, what if we can take that content and somehow make it more interactive and make it so that you can place it on your breakfast table or on your coffee table? And so we, we looked around for a, a good story that might have be, be a good sort of starting point for, for maybe exploring these types of, uh, of interactions in this kind of presentation. And one story that was really um, coming out in the news at the time we were working on this project was the Thai cave rescue where these soccer players got stuck in a cave in Thailand. And they were stuck in there for quite some time. And the, it was a situation where the whole world was watching and, and they had to find a way to rescue these, these kids. And there were a lot of technical challenges. There were a lot of weather challenges. It was just a really interesting story. And I, I think where we where we were really excited to, to show that with mixed reality was, was actually showing the cave itself and giving people a sense of, well, how deep were these kids and how, how far below the ground and how quickly did the water rise? And so we started to work with CNN's team that builds this kind of content to create 3D models of the actual geography and the terrain around where this cave was. And we even got down to doing things like, well, where, where did the uh, water rise to and where were they at the time? And building these timeline experiences where you can drag a timeline back and forth and see what kinds of things happened during the course of the 
the rescue. But where it got really exciting for me was actually being able to, to start to make it in your own home. And, and what I mean by that is we, we took a cross-section of the cave. So there are some parts where it, it gets as narrow as 16, 15 inches. That's really, really small. But you hear that number and you don't know well, what would it be like to crawl through a space that large. And so one of the uh, interactive experiences we built for that story was an actual cross-section that just floats in your room. And you can actually put your hands through it. And you get a feel for like, wow, that's, that's going to be really tight to squeeze through. And I can't imagine crawling through two or three meters of that. These types of things bring the news in in a different way. But what got interesting with this sort of presentation of factual journalistic material in 3D was, uh, this actually came up from the uh, CNN's creative director, was how do we know what we can show and what we can't? And what I mean by that is if you were to show in 3D in a fully explorable by users kind of way a crime scene, there's a, a distinction between what we know and what we know for sure and what we may have added to kind of fill out the scene. So, for example, like let's take the raid on Osama bin Laden, for example. If we were to create that on your coffee table, we'd have to show the whole building. But it's possible that we don't know what's in the other rooms. It's possible that we don't know what the content is of uh, one of the back rooms. And we have to make this judgment call because as game designers, we would have just filled that up with all kinds of set dressing and filled that with, with just stuff to make it look good. But for the news, it's they're, they're held to a higher standard. They have to know that everything they put into that building is actually based on facts or based off of photograph or based off of satellite data. So, but this is a huge concern for, for CNN. And they're, they're like, we can't say that this is there if, it, if we don't know that it is. And so there was a lot of conversation around in the future as this develops as a, as a key part of the way media is presented. Do we show it in some way? Do we draw crosshatches through those areas? Do we say, hey, this area was added for visual effect, but we don't know that it conforms to the news. And so it, it creates a lot of actual questions around this new type of media. How do we tell the news and how can we verify that everything in it is true? Because the user can literally poke their head in anywhere. And we don't want someone saying, well, I poked my head in the back room of the uh, Abbottabad compound and I found that there was whatever, table and chairs in the back. And so there couldn't have been more than six people because there were only four chairs and, and drawing conclusions that are completely unjustified by reality. What a, an ethics dilemma. Right? <laughs> XR touches everything. It's funny how the average user of this technology would never even consider these types of things. And the fact that the CNN team considers these things, it really does kind of speak to the the real power uh, that they hold as journalists and holding themselves to a higher standard. Yeah, exactly right. I wish the whole XR industry was held to a higher standard. I, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think they, they set a good standard for what is information and, and how is it presented and what, what sorts of assumptions do we project with that, you know, what's implied in, in the things that we show. So yeah, it was cool. And, and you know, that was really exciting for us as, as one of our early big projects, because it, it did the exact thing we wanted as founders of this company, which was to get a glimpse into how do big companies run? What are the exciting challenges that they have under the surface of what are the conversations that they're having? We, we wanted to learn kind of like, like Alan Peterson did, how are trucks designed? How is news made? What are those conversations inside the conference room? And, and, and what does all that look like? So, so for us, just kind of our, our personal curiosity as founders, this was, this was super cool to go into CNN and talk to all the people that, that are involved in making the news and then present to them this, this incredible new way of, of showing their work. Uh, I guess one of the thing, the major aha moments for you when you started dealing with these big companies, going from a gaming background, sitting in these boardrooms with these big companies, what was something that was kind of totally foreign to you that, that it revealed itself? Well, first of all, in terms of, of the sales process and decisions, it's a real challenge because you've got so many different stakeholders at so many different levels and, and not everybody is going to be in the conference room with you. Not everybody's going to be in the same conversation to give you the chance to convince them that, that XR is, is the way they should go. You know, sometimes that happens outside and, and people, someone you've never met and never knew will tor torpedo the deal because they think, oh, my son had an Oculus Go and had a terrible experience and this entire technology has no future. 
One of the things for us was just learning who the stakeholders are and, and dealing with the just large scale of an organization that's trying to avoid risk. And for us, learning how to, in, in the same way that, that Magic Leap does so well, learning how to um, really evangelize this within an organization and, and deal with a lot of the objections um, was, was a big challenge. And the other piece of it is that a lot of companies at this point now have, have tried some form of XR. Um, and, and many of the, the folks that we talked to are, are like, well, we tried that two or three years ago and, and it didn't work at all. Or we, we tried that with this other vendor and it was too expensive. They have some preconceptions about what this technology is capable of or how much it costs or how much work it is. And um, to be honest and frank with everybody, it was expensive and it did not work all that well three years ago. Absolutely. And, and now in this industry, we have to come back and say, well, uh, it's different now. <laughs> Will you please try us again? <laughs> and then every year it gets better. We also have better quality, lower prices right across the board. Just take 360 video, for example, uh, four years ago when we started doing this or five years ago, whatever it was, it was $10,000 a minute because you had to hand stitch. You had to, first of all, 3D print the camera yeah, exactly. and then you had to use software and manually stitch every single scene together. And this was a crazy, tedious process. And then all of a sudden, these all-in-one 360 cameras popped out and you're like, oh, okay, well, great. I don't have to spend a month stitching this. Yeah. Handheld for $200. Yeah, exactly. This, these kinds right? of things are, are huge, huge so games. $10,000 a minute to a $200 camera. So yeah, I think a lot of it's come back and, and take a look at what it is now. And it's, it's a lot different from three years, we promise. And what, what helps a lot is also that I think overall in in this industry, we've we've done a good job as a whole of, of recording a lot of really good case studies. There have been a lot of case studies where I, I would have expected this to be something that either the company or the developer would have kept, kept super secret. And this does happen from time to time where they're like, no, no, AR is our secret sauce. We don't want anybody hearing about what we did. We don't want anybody to like copy us or we don't want our competitors to take any of this, this stuff. And that actually, from a business standpoint, makes a lot of sense. It does. But then by and large, a lot of companies are looking at this as, well, let's look at the other side of the coin, which is that, hey, we can project ourselves as a very innovative company. This is just now and we're already working on the future. So even if you did what we're doing now, you're still behind, which I think is great because it gives the industry overall a look at, well, what's working, what's not working um, and, and what kinds of gains are people seeing? And, and then when we go to talk to a company that's, for example, a construction company, well, we can pull a lot of different use cases for where other companies have been super successful. And that, that helps to turn that tide, you know, where companies that are super risk averse and really slow industries, um, they can say, hey, wait, actually, some a lot of companies like us are doing this already, and they're, they're really happy with it. So maybe it is worth it for us to give it a try. And Alan, I got to say, thanks for, for all the stuff you're doing to promote the industry. I mean, I think, I think it's important to have a lot of conversations around this stuff. I think the more information that's out there, it, it keeps developers like us doing our best work, knowing about all the solutions that are out there to be leveraged and not reinventing the wheel ourselves when we need to do something, um, and then helps companies to see how much exciting stuff is happening in the space. Wholeheartedly. And actually, our, our new business model with Metaverse, it's a culmination of us realizing that we can't possibly build everything for everybody. Even though we, we're really focused on training and education and learning, we can't possibly build everything for everybody. So what we're building is a platform marketplace for learning technologies and content. So for example, you guys have built this player on Magic Leap that you built with CNN. Well, maybe they want to resell that player as a, as a generic player for other companies to leverage that technology. Well, there we go. We can now put that on the platform marketplace and make it available to every company without having to pay the million dollars of development costs up front. And this can be done for all sorts of content. We're, we're really focusing on training and education and learning content, but having a platform marketplace or managed marketplace of this technology will lend itself nicely to scaling this technology. As, as you know, it's, it's not easy to make. And companies like Extality are few and far between right now. Absolutely. I think standing on, on each other's shoulders is really the way to go to the next step.
I think there's room for everybody. And if we all work together, then good luck if you're not part of the the fold. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a lot of technologies raise up as the gold standard of, of doing certain things the right way. And I think the benefit of having people just take things that have been established as, hey, this is the good one, use this, and and then build all the other stuff yourself. Um, it's kind of like web technologies, right? Like there was a point where yeah. everybody was implementing their own authentication software. And, and now you don't do that anymore. You just use one that's established to be really good and you can make sure that it's already secure because there's people that are dedicated to solving that problem versus you want to build a, an XR solution and you have to build every piece of it yourself. You may not be an expert in, in the security part of it or the network layer part of it or the graphics part of it. And we can lean on people that are to really get, get to, to what, what's really driving value for the client. Yeah, I think the, the billion dollar question is which technologies serve which industries best and right. which products are best to deliver these results. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've been all, all over in different industries and we're seeing yeah, pretty much every single industry demands, demands something different of us. I think of, uh, of ASICs, that was another client of ours where we, um, we were talking with them about you know, building prototypes around, around some challenges that they had with essentially with, with their distribution model, where essentially you've got folks that, that are buying shoes to sell them. So you know, a company like a Macy's or a you know, large retailer in Europe. And, and one of the challenges for, for ASICs and pretty much every other shoe company is that they have to come to these meetings with all the shoes for a particular uh, season. And if you consider all the different colorways and all the different models, they've got a pile of shoes that are being shipped all around everywhere around the world. And it starts to kind of give you this aha moment if you're deep in the XR world of, well, why can't we just digital twin everything? Why can't we build really, really beautiful, very realistic looking shoe models and then put these in the hands of the, uh, the, the sales and distribution reps instead of having to actually send around these giant crates of shoes around everywhere? It's crazy, right? And the same with apparel. Apparel is a little bit more difficult, but shoes lends itself perfectly. We, we spend a lot of time modeling shoes. <laughs> shoes, watches, handbags, glasses, and apparel was exactly. kind of the, the, the rigid goods. The yeah. Yeah, rigid goods and then things that are fashion forward, they're always changing, right? So an ASIC shoe, although they kind of all look the same eventually, but the shoes of, of 2019 are going to be different than the shoes of 2020. Mm-hmm, exactly. And you know, having to create physical models is, is kind of, it's almost like useless now. <laughs> you don't need that. And for how much money just in shipping that stuff. Right. It's crazy. And it's just like you can take down all kinds of, it's not just money, right? There's like carbon that you're saving and, and there's, it does a lot of good for everybody. You could, they can do the meetings more quickly. It's, it's easier to show things. Pulling it up is much faster. Like, oh, you want the blue, whatever, GT2000. We can show you the model really quickly versus, oh, hold on. Let me go dig this out of the crate of 300 shoes. So, and, and the thing that's interesting is, I mean, we have companies like Audi where they've, they've taken the digital twin throughout the entire chain, right? It's used both in, in the, the design side to the production side to the retail or in their case dealer side i see that for a lot of different industries i mean with 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 shoe companies it's the same thing right the same way that these shoes are being sold to uh retailers and they can figure out for their buyers and that kind of thing you could you could imagine those same models showing up on on uh, websites to be used in the retail side on the e-commerce side use it in a lot of different places you can get a lot of value a lot of times big companies their marketing departments don't talk to their training departments and one of the things that we realize is that it's expensive to make a 3D model, but you can use it across multiple parts of the business. You can use the same 3D model to share it with designers. You can share it with buyers. You can use it on your website for marketing. You can use it for training, like all of these things. Yet it, it's going to take some time to re-educate businesses on the fact that this this content can be reused and really creating this, this digital um, catalog of, of 3D content. 
Exactly. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier is we're in some ways now helping businesses talk to their individual parts, right? And it's, it's almost yeah. like a, a transformation challenge. And we end up being agents in that way as well. It's, it's, it's more than just delivering XR solutions. It's, hey, have you talked to your marketing department? Has, has, does sales talk to marketing? Does, does it, like you said, design talk to marketing? You guys are all using the same file here. You, you should have a system that shares everything. And then you go back to the question of, well, the decision maker for marketing is different from the decision maker for design. And, and, and you start to get into some of these interesting corporate challenges. And so, yeah, you asked it originally, like, how is this different from games? And yeah, that's, that's a huge area where we just learn a lot about and like, what, wow, this is inefficient. And we're not just giving them efficiency by giving them XR tools. We're giving them efficiency by, in some ways, just changing communication inside the organization. Arash, you've done work with ASICs. You've done work with CNN and Magic Leap. Is there any other projects you want to discuss? Well, there's a project we did with a, a small refrigerator company. I don't know if they're small. Actually, they're pretty big. Um, it's, a, it's a refrigerator company that's doing refrigerators with solid state electronics. And so, you know, normally oh, refrigerators yeah. got compressors and it's got all these like fans and stuff like that. These guys found a way to make an, a, a refrigerator essentially with no moving parts. Um, so it's, it's electronically cooled. And this was an interesting marketing project for us because we had this, this refrigerator and it's unique because there's no space taken up by a compressor. You can fit it in a lot of different form factors. And this was interesting because their marketing team just had this vision and they said, like, can we put this in people's homes? Can we put this in, in stores where they want to use this? Can they customize it on site? Can we make it interactive? And um, this was an exploration and just like, let's say yes to everything. You know, let's make a really cool AR kit tool that you can download off of the app store so that anybody, no matter whether they're a sales person for the company, whether they're a customer, whether they're somebody who just likes refrigerators, they can try this and then experiment with like, how do you work with this? Where can I put it? What does it look like when it opens? Can I change the skin to say ice cream? Can I change the skin to say yogurt? Can I change it to something completely different? And exploring taking models from, from CAD, rendering them realistically in, in, in ARKit in this case, um, can be headsets, can be anything. And that, that started to become a model for us of are there other companies that, that can really quickly give us their CAD models or give us something that we can photograph and create 3D models through photogrammetry. And so that's kind of been our focus in, in, the, in recent months is looking at companies where they're just they're ready to go. There was a bike company, same thing. They have a, a really innovative bike platform. It's an electric uh, pedal combo bike. And they just wanted to show like, hey, this is a really cool new carbon fiber bike and you can get it in a lot of different colors. And creating these just really easy, kind of goes back to the thing we said with shoes and purses and handbags. Can we create a really easy model where people can navigate it to their heart's content? Where with photos, you're like, oh, I don't know what that part looks like. I can't see that angle. Um, but with a 3D model, and especially if it's on the web or in an app, you can just rotate to whatever angle you want to and peek at the smallest, most minute detail um, and uh, get whatever answer you're looking for, kind of see it however you want to see it. So, so that's, that's been interesting. And looking at how do we get that data? Does it come from CAD? How do we get materials? That's been an area we've been really focusing. But then the other really, really big area for us has been construction. We've been working with uh, Unity's Reflect team. And uh, for people that haven't heard of Reflect, it's basically a tool which allows construction companies and architects who are working in a, a tool called Revit, which is kind of one of the industry standard BIM uh, building information modeling tools, to uh, export those BIM data files, which are usually huge and contain millions and millions of, of triangles, transfer those onto a mobile device so that you can actually look at a, uh, a model while you're on the job site or somewhere else in an office in a meeting. And it creates a, a two-way relationship. So if you were to uh, change the file in Revit, it instantly updates in, in, um, in mobile. And we're looking at a lot of challenges in, in construction and other large manufacturing organizations where there's just, it's a lot of data, a lot of 3D data, and, and getting that onto mobile devices, onto um, mobile uh, VR, AR devices, uh, it's just a, a horsepower challenge. 
And by being able to do these operations offline over the internet, we're talking a lot about remote rendering. Um, we saw some some cool stuff coming out of Microsoft with that the Apollo demo and things like that. I think I think that sort of starts to paint the future of how we can use this in, in larger scale industrial operations. Um, and so we're, we're working on building tools around around Reflect. Um, so that's been a really big area of, of internal development for us with um, some of our large construction clients visualizing things like build sites, build process, how does the 13th floor come in and what are the crane swing operations that we have to do um, and helping them, you know, really just communicate better, being able to put put the building right in the middle of the conference room table and have everybody, all the stakeholders looking at it in one place with a, with a model that's that heavy. Normally that's just not possible. You've got to look at it on a high performance PC and you can't do it on an iPad or a Magic Leap or something like that. So we're seeing a lot of big technologies that are, are starting to push us in that direction, which is, which is really cool, making that possible. Um, I'm enamored by uh, these programs that are taking CAD files and BIM models and transforming them into 3D for AR and stuff really simply because that was a big problem. How do you take these CAD models that you have that you've spent millions of dollars on and convert them to 3D? It's in 3D. It's just not in the right format. So there's like a – and then having this mess of 3D uh, versions and 3D model uh, formats – You've got FPX and GLTF and OBJ and all these different, and then you've got Apple with USDZ, and there's really a lack of standardization across industries um, for this. And I, I think we're starting to see the these things work themselves out a bit, which is great. Absolutely, and it reminds me of the early days of images too, right? We had BMPs and PCXs and every kind of like there were so many different formats. If you remember, like early days yep. of, of graphic design on the PC. And, and those all sort of consolidated. And, and really, I think it ends up being, you know, what are the major formats that people support? What are the major formats that are becoming interchange formats for, for just different operations? And yeah, and we saw kind of in the games industry, you know, things all kind of centered around FBX and Colada. And, and I think we're going to see that sort of with USDZ and, and GLTF. I think there's just a lot of tools like Sketchfab and things like that, where it's just, you just, your experience with certain formats is a lot easier. And we see people gravitating toward those formats. And so um, well, it's interesting you say that because everybody in the world was moving towards GLTF until Apple said, oh, yeah, we got our own one. Oh, by the way, <laughs> by the way, we're Apple. So yeah. you can form. Yep. So, but there's a great program called MeshMorph, uh, meshmorph.io, that will uh, convert file formats into uh, USDZ. Perfect. Yeah, I, I'm, I was speaking with Apple, and they're they're investing a lot in making that that process uh, a lot easier. And and again, cool. you know, those, those types of investments are what will make people gravitate toward USDZ over something like GLTF. So yeah, it's a, well, let the best man win. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the biggest problem I see is I've got a 3D graphic designer who built um, an AR, just an AR business card for us. Send it over to another group that we're hosting the same graphic on our website in 3D and back and forth back and forth and like oh the textures weren't right and all oh, the the bump map wasn't right and it's like god this is there needs to be a standard like how hard is it to send a bloody file <laughs> but it's apparently hard yeah i mean the, the challenge that i think we we see is as we work more and more with this is that there's there's so much more data to 3d than there was with images you know an image is like yep. well, we got pixels and what color is the pixel but here it's what are your your materials what is the shininess what is this thing which map is being allocated to which channel and where you're dealing with these photorealistic physically based rendering models it's and it's important to get it all right because different renderers are going to use the bump map a different way they're going to expect a normal map i mean there's all these kind of technical gotchas that you can get wrong if you're importing from one format to another 
and again, yeah, I think that just underscores the importance of, of this stuff starting to, to get more standardized. But yeah, at, at the moment, I, I think I agree with you. It's a big mess and different exporters are exporting differently. And you'll see two different ways the same file formats are being interpreted. I mean, we had challenges with FBX where it's just like, hey, you can store animation different ways here. Or you can store the materials different ways and people aren't getting what they expect and leads yep. to clients getting on the phone and being angry. Yeah, and when you're dealing, especially with retail, uh, when you drop something in AR, it needs to look like, or even on 3D, it needs to look like the product that I'm going to buy. People are used to seeing a photo of the product I'm going to buy. If it's skewed in some way or a different color or a different shape or whatever, then you've failed in doing that. And, and then, of course, the challenge uh, becomes, okay, we made it look photoreal. It looks great. How do we make it smaller so that it works on all devices fast? Right, exactly. Yeah, still a lot of model data is quite large. We're getting better with compression, but yeah, you're right. Oh yeah, it's getting way better. And then you've got 5G coming. People are like, oh, 5G will unlock this. I'm like, yes, but if you can get compression great now, when you 5G comes along, then you can just do more. It still doesn't shortcut the fact you need to get compression down. Yeah, things need to be efficient. They do. Well, Arash, what problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? Oh, that's a really good one. I So me personally, I'm a pilot. And what I'm looking forward to is being able to wear a headset while I'm flying an airplane and have everything just laid out in front of me out in the open, you know, kind of like, I think like F-22 pilots have this with a $20 million headset. Like I want to see every pilot being able to see other planes, all the runways, all these kinds of things, and that being extended later to drivers and that kind of thing. I think there's just so much opportunity to give lots of information to people operating vehicles. Thing you say that I was just at the ITSEC conference last week. Oh yeah, the, how is um, interdisciplinary uh, industry simulation um, and training conference? It was amazing. I got to fly a helicopter. Uh, I don't know which one, but it had had the articulating propellers, so it actually can fly like a plane as well. Oh right, yeah. But I was in a, a giant multi-million dollar simulator flying a helicopter at one point. I was, I, I shot things. There was lots of things to shoot. I also got to f drive a tank. That was pretty cool. Out of about 400 and I'd say there's about 450 booths there, over 100 of them had VR at them. Yeah. The fact that there's that percentage, at least a little bit over a third of every of these booths had VR in them uh, or AR. I mean, I tried a, a gun range using the Magic Leap where you're shooting a gun, but when you're looking through the Magic Leap, you see a full range in front of you with grass exactly. and yeah. trees it was like whoa and it was one-to-one -one exactly to the gun so i mean when i looked down the barrel of the gun shot it mm -hmm. it was very accurate yeah that's it's no course, accident that even early days like in the 90s 80s we had heads-up displays on airplanes like it's just it's huge huge game changer to have information exactly where you're looking you you've got uh, kind of pioneers in this space people that have been working this since the the 60s 70s in these heads up displays and you don't really know uh what you're missing until you have that data in front of your face yeah do you know tom Furness? i don't think i do tom Furness was was one of those uh, you know he's known as the the grandfather of uh of ar because he was building heads up displays or huds for the the u.s navy and and the air force back in the 60s 70s Oh, that's and amazing. He's never left the industry. So he's, he's actually one of our mentors with XR Ignite. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Good stuff. For anybody, any business looking or organization, school, teacher, if you're looking for uh, information on XR collaboration tools and how you use them, we're releasing a guide. It's the Global Guide to XR Collaboration. 
and it will be released on xrcollaboration.com 